January 8th. Our reading today in the New Testament will be from the book of Matthew, chapter 6, beginning at verse 25, and we'll read through chapter 7, verse 14. In Matthew chapter 6, we'll read about praise. We should give only to please God and receive His praise. If we give to win the praise of others, or to be able to compliment ourselves, well, we get the immediate reward and all the praise, but we lose the eternal reward. We cannot get our reward twice, so we must decide which one we want. And we'll read about prayer. The Lord's Prayer is a pattern for us to follow so that we'll put God's concerns first and not forget to forgive others. And we'll read about possessions. Of course, we need things to live, and God provides these things for us. But acquiring things must not be the main goal of life. As we get into the seventh chapter of Matthew, we'll read about judges. One of the easiest ways to cover our sins is to judge others. It's not wrong to exercise discernment, but we must start with ourselves. We'll read about pilgrims. The gate into real life is narrow, and the way is difficult. So don't try to carry a lot of excess baggage. False teachers make the way easy and popular. If you truly follow Jesus, you pay a price, and the way sometimes becomes lonely. And with that... Let's begin our reading today in the New Testament. January 8, Matthew chapter 6, verse 25, through chapter 7, verse 14. So I tell you, don't worry about everyday life, whether you have enough food, drink, and clothes. Doesn't life consist of more than food and clothing? Look at the birds. They don't need to plant or harvest or put food in barns, because your heavenly Father feeds them, and you are far more valuable to Him than they are. Can all your worries add a single moment to your life? Of course not. And why worry about your clothes? Look at the lilies, and how they grow. They don't work or make their clothing, yet Solomon in all his glory was not dressed as beautifully as they are. And if God cares so wonderfully for flowers that are here today and gone tomorrow, won't He more surely care for you? You have so little faith. So don't worry about having enough food or drink or clothing. Why be like the pagans who are so deeply concerned about these things? Your Heavenly Father already knows all your needs, and He will give you all you need from day to day if you live for Him and make the kingdom of God your primary concern. So don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring its own worries. Today's trouble is enough for today. Stop judging others, and you will not be judged. For others will treat you as you treat them. Whatever measure you use in judging others, it will be used to measure how you are judged. And why worry about a speck in your friend's eye? When you have a log in your own? How can you think of saying, Let me help you get rid of that speck in your eye, when you can't see past the log in your own eye? Hypocrite! First, get rid of the log from your own eye. Then perhaps you will see well enough to deal with the speck in your friend's eye. 
Don't give what is holy to unholy people. Don't give pearls to swine. They will trample the pearls, then turn and attack you. Keep on asking, and you will be given what you ask for. Keep on looking, and you will find. Keep on knocking, and the door will be opened. For everyone who asks receives. Everyone who seeks finds. And the door is opened to everyone who knocks. You parents, if your children ask for a loaf of bread, do you give them a stone instead? Or if they ask for a fish, do you give them a snake? Of course not. If you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give good gifts to those who ask Him? Do for others what you would like them to do for you. This is a summary of all that is taught in the Law and the Prophets. You can enter God's kingdom only through the narrow gate. The highway to hell is broad, and its gate is wide for the many who choose the easy way. But the gateway to life is small, and the road is narrow, and only a few ever find it. Psalm 8, verses 1 through 9. The universe is vast and full of grandeur. So why should God pay any attention to weak and insignificant men and women? But He does. He can use the weakness of babes to reveal His great strength and to defeat the enemy, the way David defeated Goliath. If He can use infants, surely He can use anybody. You are important because God made you in His image. Well, sin, of course, has marred that image. But in Jesus Christ, that image can be restored. You're important because God has shared His dominion with you. Man lost that dominion when he sinned. But Jesus Christ has regained it. Can you think of occasions when Jesus Christ proved that He had dominion over beasts, birds, and fish? Yes, you are important to God, and He has a purpose for you to fulfill. He wants you to reign in life through His Son, for you are enthroned in the heavenlies with Him. Why live like a slave when you can live like a sovereign? It's amazing when you start enjoying God. You need little else in this life to enjoy which I think starts to help me understand humans like Mother Teresa, this extraordinary little woman who has massive capacity to love and care for other human beings. And sometimes you got to wonder, was Mother Teresa born noble and compassionate and merciful? And the answer scripturally is no. She was born selfish and self-absorbed, just like you and just like me. What happened? She started to enjoy God. God revealed himself to this little woman in Calcutta. And she just enjoyed him. And as she enjoyed him more, she needed little else in life to enjoy. Possessions, things, stuff had little appeal. Because of how much God meant to her. She learned to enjoy God. Are we dwelling on his love? 
Are we reclining on his love? It's funny because growing up, I thought like the best antidote to resist temptation was kind of like, like this physical posture spiritually. Like, bring it on. I'm going to fight you, jealousy and envy and anger. I'm so angry at you, anger. I'm going to fight you, lust. You bring it on. But I realize now that actually the most powerful posture for a believer is reclining, sitting, resting, yielding on our God who relationally is a lot like an Ikea couch, a lot like a lazy boy. Just stay there. That's the great challenge, is it not? To, to stay to stay in his love. No, I don't, I don't feel, I don't deserve this. Stop, stop loving me. I can't handle this. I don't, I can't, I can't stay on the couch anymore. I have to go do something. I have to earn something. I have to work for it. I have to impress you. I have to just, you know, hold up my end of the bargain. I, I can't, no, God, stop it. Ah, you're blessing me again. You're loving me. You're forgiving me again. You can't keep forgiving me for the same thing. I promised I wouldn't do it. Stop it. I'm just putting vernacular to how a lot of us feel all the time. Remember Peter in Luke chapter 5? We talked about it. Remember God fills his boat with fish and his buddy's boats with fish. And Peter, what is Peter? What is Peter's knee-jerk reaction to Jesus? You got to go. You got to go. What's he saying? Relationally, I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't do this. Because I understand how relationships work. You hold up your end of the deal, but I have to hold up my end of the deal. And the way you're holding up your end of the deal, I can't keep up with this. I can't bless you the same way you're blessing me. I can't live the life that's worthy of all the stuff you're putting in my boat. You need to go. It'll just be better if you punish me and you depart from me. That'll be good for me. Jesus ignored his plea, by the way. When Jesus comes over to Mary and Martha's house, why is Martha so busy? Because we are Martha. Jesus is there. We're in relationship. Relationships, I'm going to want to serve him. I'm going to serve him. And then she's like ticked off because Mary's not working. She's sitting. And finally she goes, really? Jesus, I'm serving you. Don't you see what I'm doing for you, Mary? Mary the slacker? Mary doesn't hesitate to come and recline at your feet. Guess who gets commended and guess who gets corrected? The one who is resting and reclining and enjoying Jesus gets commended. The one who is serving and working gets corrected. That's tough to handle. Listen to the invitation from your God. Abide. So fathers love me, so I have loved you. Stay there. You want to make sense more of these commandments? If you're still kind of like, I don't know about this commandment thing. I really think it's about keeping his commandments. Well, of course we're to keep his commandments. But as we focus on his love, that's what enables us and empowers us to keep his commandments. Look at John chapter 15, verse 12. He says, no, you, you want a commandment? Let's talk commandments. 
I want you to love one another. That's where a lot of us stop. All right, we're going to love each other. Come on. Guys, we're Christians. We're going to do this, okay? I'm going to love you. I, re- I really am going to love you. Hopefully I don't see you because it will be easier to love you if I don't see you. But, but we're going to love you from a distance. But that's not how we're to address commandments. He says, love one another as I have loved you. What comes first here? Loving people or understanding how God loves you? There it is again. The only way I'm going to love people like Mother Teresa is discover what Mother Teresa discovered is how much God loves me. And when I remain in his love, when I abide in his love, when I continue in his love, God, you've so freely given me this love, I want to give it away to others. It's a paradox, isn't it? Because the more you obsess over loving people, the more annoying they become. (laughs) The more you just obsess over God's love for you, the more you love what he loves. You want to live like he lives. And you start obeying his commandments. Love God and love your neighbor. That's his commandment. How can we do that unless we dwell in his love for us. David prayed in the midst of his darkest hour in life, maybe second only to when he lost this child that came from this relationship. David prays, I need you to restore this to me. I've lost it. I'm not enjoying you. I think, actually, David's also saying that's how he got involved with Bathsheba in the first place. He stopped enjoying God. So I need, I need you to take me back to that emotional disposition, that place, that space that I was in when, 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 when you met me and you called me and you appointed me. And, you, and, I, and I just, it, like, maybe he's saying, like, when I was a shepherd, when I was out with the sheep, I need to go back to that place where I just enjoyed you and I talked to you. I just, God, could you restore that? Because I've lost it and it's hurting me. This is one of the main objectives in life, church, enjoying God. And I implore each and every one of us that we pass on to the next generation, not rules, regulation, church attendance, Bible reading plans, or an hour of prayer every day, all of which is not bad, it's great. But I pray what we pass on to our children and their children's children is a passion to really enjoy this gracious, loving God. That's how we'll stay to the end. This is the key to endurance. There are very few human beings on the planet, this is at least my premise, that have the willpower, that have the the moral fortitude to serve rules and regulations and last to the very end. Very few. For the rest of us average normal people, I won't make it with rules. I won't make it just because it's the right thing. I need to know him. I need to enjoy him. I got to have a relationship with him. Our world and the world we live in, we're so blessed to live in this country, but it has so much to offer in terms of distraction and temptation and allurement. 
unless I enjoy him, I wonder sometimes, will I make it to the end? There's power in this joy. And I say these things, Jesus said, that my joy would remain in you and that your joy would be full. Psalm chapter 8, verses 1 through 9. The choir director, Psalm of David, to be accompanied by a stringed instrument. O Lord, our Lord, the majesty of your name fills the earth. Your glory is higher than the heavens. You have taught children and nursing infants to give you praise. They silence your enemies who are seeking revenge. When I look at the night sky and see the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars you have set in place, what are mortals that you should think of us, mere humans that you should care for us? For you made us only a little lower than God, and you crowned us with glory and honor. You put us in charge of everything you made, giving us authority over all things, the sheep and the cattle, and all the wild animals, the birds in the sky, the fish in the sea, and everything that swims the ocean currents. O Lord, our Lord, the majesty of your name fills the earth. Proverbs chapter 2, verses 6 through 15. For the Lord grants wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He grants a treasure of good sense to the godly. He is their shield, protecting those who walk with integrity. He guards the paths of justice and protects those who are faithful to him. Then you will understand what is right, just, and fair, and you will know how to find the right course of action every time. For wisdom will enter your heart, and knowledge will fill you with joy. Wise planning will watch over you. Understanding will keep you safe. Wisdom will save you from evil people, from those whose speech is corrupt. These people turn from right ways to walk down dark and evil paths. They rejoice in doing wrong, and they enjoy evil as it turns things upside down. What they do is crooked, and their ways are wrong. Thank you.